The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Don't have one, 
I highly recommend you getting one. But a couple other good books. Uh, there's The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. There's Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. The Atomic Habits by James Clear. I'm going to be pulling some principles from each of those books. Uh, and I just said them so quick because there's much ground to cover. We'll put this information online as well. Uh, but one of my favorite books, uh, really digging into spiritual discipline, spiritual habits, is called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And I highly recommend, uh, even if you're a listener more than a reader, uh, all of these books are available uh, to listen to, to download. Audible.com is a great resource that I use often. Kicking off this series, I want to say a couple basic sentences to help us lay a foundation. Number one, and these are in your notes, if you don't have a Bible or notes with you this morning, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring one to you. Just leave your hand up so they get to you. The, the first point I want to make this morning is successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Habits are things that we develop in our life that we do consistently. There are good habits, there are bad habits. What kind of habits do you have? If you want to be a successful person, you have to develop in your life some consistent things that you will see happen repeatedly. Successful people do consistently what others only do occasionally. And this applies to all areas of life. Spiritually, if you want to grow in your walk with Christ, there are some things you can implement daily. A daily pattern of reading God's Word, a daily pattern of journaling, a daily pattern of of meditating on on Scripture, of regularly fasting through periods of your life, of, of doing things that will help you to become the person God wants you to be. Financially, there are things, habits, practices, that we should consistently do to get ourselves out of debt, to, to, to create a savings, to become more generous. There are things we should do physically, uh, developing habits and routines in the way we eat, the kind of exercise that we do, and even relationally, uh, how we treat others, how we spend time with others, with our, our family, our friends, our coworkers. It's all about doing the small things over a period of time that lead to the big changes in our life. And when I look at the scriptures, I think of the heroes of the faith. I think of great examples. And, of course, the first person I think of is Jesus. Jesus often would spend time with the masses, with friends, with, with those who uh, needed hope or healing or help or, or, or were hurting. But there were also times where Jesus consistently pulled away from the crowds and escaped to have time alone with God. And if the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, needed to develop a habit and a routine of of regularly praying to the Father, then you better believe we need to do the same. When I also look at the scriptures, I see somebody like Paul who developed the habit of sharing his faith. He would, in in the cities, in the marketplaces, in the synagogues, on the street corners, and even when in prison, he would share his faith. He developed the habits that led him to become the person. God wanted him to be. Successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. And my hope is that we as a church will become more consistent in doing the right things to become the people God has called us to be. And this is the perfect time of year to do it. Many of you, you're looking at Lent as a season of preparation, a great time for you to start developing some good habits. Many times we we fail. 
fall short. We, we feel depressed about decisions we've made. How many of you made a New Year's resolution and, and already failed? Okay, you don't want to admit it. Statistics show that 92% of all New Year's resolutions fail before Valentine's Day. Well, get another chance. It's Lent. Try it again. Many times we end up feeling like the Apostle Paul, who wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 7, he wrote these words. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that God's law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin that's alive and living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I want to do is not the good that I want, what I do is not the good that I want to do. The evil that I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this struggle, this law at work in me. When I want to do what is good, evil is right there waiting for me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law in my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is at work in the members of my body. What a wretched rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the hope. He is the answer. So we have this struggle. For many of us, we look at ourselves and we see the things that we wish we could do and we don't do them. The things that we don't want to do and we're doing them. And we find like Paul this struggle. I wish I could. I would. I don't. And we find this battle inside of us. Uh, Things we wish we could do and things that we want to do but things that we're not doing and we give in and we find ourselves feeling like Paul looking at ourselves I failed so I must be a failure I keep doing the things I shouldn't do what a wretched man I am the New Living Translation puts it how I'm miserable I'm a miserable person and he ends the passage with the only hope that can be connects his failure to his identity and he says, because I failed, I am a failure, so what hope is there for me? How will I be freed from this, this struggle? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death in me? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, my Savior. It is only He who can help. It is only He that can deliver. It is only He that can change us. Christ is our source for our strength, for our healing, for our hope. He is everything that we need. And if you are in Christ, you have become a new creation. The old has gone and the new is come. So how can we make this a reality in our lives? My prayer is that we as a people would begin to put into practice the godly, the necessary disciplines in our lives. That although they seem small and insignificant over time, 
every time those God-honoring decisions and habits we put in our life will make us the person that God wants us to be. Only successful people, successful people become successful because they do things consistently instead of just doing them occasionally. So why is this such a struggle for us? There are three things I want to give us this morning on reasons we fail, on reasons that we have a hard time keeping up with the habits that we wish we could do. Number one, we focus on the what instead of the how. We focus on the results. I want to lose weight. I want to get out of debt. I want to change my life. And so we, 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 we focus on the things that we set as goals. And let's face it, all of us have the same goals. Most of our goals have to do with our health. We want, we want good health, right? I, I don't know anybody in here that's saying, you know, I want my cholesterol to be high this year. Anybody? We want to get out of debt. I haven't had anyone ever come to me and say, what is the pattern for me to double my debt this year? How do I, how do I achieve that goal? We want to enjoy our friendships. We want to grow in our relationship with God. We want to make a difference in the world. James Clear in his book says, winners and losers, the successful and the unsuccessful, you know what they have in common? They all have the same goals. Everybody has the same goals. But if you were to poll the room, you know that not all of us end at the same place. Every sports team that I'm aware of has a coach that starts the season saying, guys, the goal this year is to win the championship. You ever had a coach that says, fifth place, that's what we want. That's what we're striving for. I've done so many premarital counseling sessions. I've lost count. And when I ask couples, what are they hoping for in a healthy marriage? I normally hear things like, you know, to fall deeper in love, to have a family that really makes a difference, to have a life full of blessing. I never hear, we hope to make it to five years. And if we're blessed, maybe seven. Nobody ever says that. James Clear says in his book, if you don't rise to the level of your goals, we all have goals. Goals don't determine our success. On the other hand, you don't rise to the level of your goals. Instead, you fall to the level of your systems. Systems determine our success. That terminology may not sound very biblical, but if you take time to look at the scriptures, I think that you will have an eye-opening encounter with seeing that it's, it's the godly examples of people in scripture that we see had systems in place. I think of Daniel. The book of Daniel, we see from the very beginning, as a teenager, he's, he's captive. He's, he's uh, kidnapped by the Babylonians, and they bring him into captivity, and they're telling him these things to do, and it says that he had determined in his heart that he would not sin against God. From that point on, he had been living a life in a godly family that walked according to the scriptures and the laws passed on. They would read the scriptures and meditate on them day and night. There were systems in place that helped him become the person that he meant to be. Throughout the book of Daniel, we see temptation and struggle and challenge after challenge. We see him thrown into the lion's den. What was it about Daniel that allowed him to have strong faith to cause him to stand firm even in the midst of a pit of lions? What was it that caused Daniel to stand firm and to not bow when when told that he'd be thrown in the, the fiery furnace? 
peace with its friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bow, or you will die. What was it about these young men? They had systems in place. If you look at the life of Daniel, you see that he was not only devoted to the Word of God, but three times a day he would pull away to spend time in prayer with his father. That's a system. That's him dedicating a certain set of practices that seem small and insignificant, but lead to big faith. Jesus being among the masses, healing the hurting, feeding the hungry, pulling away consistently to escape the crowds, to be alone with the Father. You can look at several examples throughout Scripture to see that the right kind of systems, doing the right kind of spiritual disciplines, have helped them to become the people that God wants them to be. But oftentimes, our mis- the mistakes we tend to make is that we, we lose focus and we focus not on the what, uh, not on the how, but on the what. And we, 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 we see that we're not reaching our goal of losing the 20 pounds or becoming more organized or paying off our credit card system. Instead of focusing on those things, we need to be focusing on the systems that got us there in the first place. And changing the practices and the habits and the routines in our life that lead us off course. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be diving in a little deeper into that. But the mistakes we make, we focus on the what without understanding the how. And number two, we don't see progress fast enough. About a month ago, I decided it was time to start fitting back into some of my clothes that I have that I can't fit in anymore. And so I, I decided that, uh, you know, almost daily I'm, I'm, I'm spending uh, 30 minutes to an hour uh, reading, either reading a, a book helping me prepare for a series or, or just to get better as a person or planning. And I do a lot of it audibly, through through Audible. And so I just decided from now on when I'm reading, I'm going to be walking or running. And so I started doing laps around my block, going down the street. At the end of two weeks, I went to the scale. Man, I've been dedicated. I'm doing it. I get on the scale, two pounds heavier. Doesn't work. Is it worth it? And some of you may be feeling that way. Maybe you started off the year taking the challenge and you've been diving in, uh, spending time with God, spending time in his word, but you're still finding that you're still arguing with your wife. You're still fighting with your kids. And you're like, man, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what Pastor John said and I'm, I'm reading his word, but I'm not seeing life change. Is it worth it? Or maybe you realize, you know what? There's some things in my life that financially I should probably cut out, help me pay off some debt. And so last month, you, you decided instead of getting that $5 cup of coffee every day, you're just going to drink the free coffee at work, even though it's, how can you call that coffee? And, and, and you cut it out, and last month alone, you saved $100. Woohoo! Nobody? So then you take that $100, and you put it into your debt snowball, and you look back, and you owe 35500 in student loans, and because of that month, you're down to 35400 Man. No dent at all. Like, man, all this hard work doesn't seem like it's paying off. That's oftentimes what distracts us and keeps us from keeping the things in place that lead to the big change. And we wrongly conclude that small good decisions don't matter that much. We need to see that it's the small things over time that lead to the 
big change in our lives. On the flip side, maybe it wasn't necessarily that you were putting big things into place or good things into place, but you've seen recently that there were some bad choices you've made that really weren't, didn't seem that bad. Your wife was gone for a few hours, and instead of hitting your to-do list, that new video game came out. Three hours later, you still can't pass that one level, but you tried hard, and you look back, and your wife comes in upset, but she didn't threaten to leave, so I guess it's okay. You skipped church that one weekend. There's no lightning bolt. Your life's not falling apart, so maybe skipping church isn't that bad. You ate that half a box of chocolate that was still sitting around from Valentine's Day. You got on the scale, no change. I guess it's not that bad. I guess I can eat half a box of chocolate every once in a while. And the small good, the small decisions, um, we, we, we conclude, we wrongly conclude that the small bad decisions don't matter that much either. We look at our life and we see the small good decisions and the small bad decisions, they don't really move the needle that much. So why try? Why bother? And we fail to see that our life and what it is today is the sum total of all the small decisions we've made up to this point. Small bad decisions rarely wreck one's life, one decision at a time. But it's that, it's that one step over the line just a little bit here. It's that one bending of the rules just a little bit over here. It's that one you know, uh, twisting things a little here. And one step at a time we drift away a place and wake up going, how in the world did my life get like this? Just one small decision after another. On the flip side, for those of you who are putting things into practice, you're, you're, you're committing to a life of self-sacrifice. You're committing to a life of self-discipline. You've taken on the practice of praying and reading God's word and fasting and, and giving and being more generous and, and, and having those hard conversations and the, and the late nights and the early mornings and the things that nobody else sees. And eventually you're starting to see your life change and other people are seeing the life change. And they think, man, what's different about you? You're like an overnight success, but they haven't seen the hard work you've put in, the times you failed and said, you know what, even though I failed, I'm going to try again. How many of you have been there? And over time, you get to the place where God wants you to be put the time in, making one good choice after another, the perseverance that it took, the, the, the getting up after you failed and getting back to it. And you start to see that the little good choices in life that you're making aren't being wasted. They're storing up energy that leads to spiritual transformation in your life. It's kind of like watching Waterboy. How many of you enjoy doing that? Yes, first hour I had nobody. There have been times when I'm sitting there in the kitchen and I'm watching them. Brandy will walk in and go, what are you doing? This is really important. I win. Let's see what kind of... You ever done that? Brian, it's, it's you and me. There have been times when I'm sitting there and I'm watching and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just watching. I'm watching the fire. I'm, I'm watching it heat up. And after a little bit of time, you've got 80 degrees and then 110 and then 180 and then 192, 201, and, it, and then you're at 211. You know what you have at 211 degrees? You have really hot water. Exactly. But there's something that happens right between 211 and 212, that one degree difference where it goes from being hot water to boiling. And it happens in a it didn't happen right away, but after the 
applied to the water, it begins storing up that energy and eventually begins to boil. And it's much like that in our walk with Christ. It's one consistent decision after another. Spending time in prayer with him. Spending time pulling away. Spending time praying for others. Spending time studying his word. Spending time fasting. Spending time in solitude. Spending time drawing close to our God. And those good choices start to store up spiritual energy in our life that lead us to becoming the people God wants us to be. It's the things that no one sees that bring the results everyone wants. These are invisible things. It's it's things that you do in the quietness of your own time. Making one small decision, one small choice at a time. Paul says this in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in doing seemingly small things. Let us not become weary in spending time with our Father. Let us not become weary in budgeting to keep ourselves on track. Let us not become weary in counting the calories that we should count. Let us not become weary in being faithful and being committed. Let us not become weary in giving our marriages the time and attention it deserves. Let us not become weary. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us stay committed. Let us do the things that God is calling us to do. Why do we so often fail? We focus on the what without understanding the how. We don't see progress fast enough. And number three, we begin to see ourselves through a distorted identity. And our distorted identity of ourself sabotages our success. We have an enemy who comes to lie, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he has a way of whispering in our ear, you failed, you are a failure. You have that temptation, you're a loser. And we begin to believe the lies of our enemy who tries to pull us down we end up feeling like Paul who said, I keep doing the things that I know I shouldn't do. I am a wretched man. I am miserable. And we see ourselves for the things that we do. Our distorted identity sabotages our success. Moses had the struggle. Remember God called Moses? He said, I'm going to choose to use you to go and to lead my people out of captivity. Moses was like, but I'm not good enough. I I have problems speaking. I'm not good with people. I lose my temper. You saw what happened last time I lost my temper. That guy's no longer with us. He saw himself, not for the guy that God was calling him to be, but for the person he saw himself as. Gideon. In the book of Judges, God calls and says, I'm going to lead you. The Midianites are coming, but I'm going to choose you, and you're going to lead my people to safety. And Gideon's like, I'm the smallest, the weakest, the twerpiest guy in my tribe. You must be picking the wrong guy. Paul said of himself that he was the least of the people. He is unworthy, and he called himself the chief of all sinners. We get ourselves in that mentality, that mindset. I'm a sinner. I'm just wired this way. I can't say no to that drink, so it's just who I am. I've got it stink at handling money, so I'm going to go shopping to deal with it. 
I'm not organized. I'm not a disciplined person. I'm not good with people. And, the, and here's what happens. An unhealthy identity creates within us unwise habits. And the cycle grows, the unhealthy cycle. Unwise habits then reinforce our unhealthy identity. And so this season, my hope is not to help you create a to-do list of goals. I'm not here to say, what are the things that God wants you to do? I'm here to say, it's not about the do, it's about the who. Who are you? Who are you? Who is it that God is calling you to be? Write that down. If someone were to to describe me, or if, if I were asked... Who is it that I would want to describe myself? Write it down. I want to be known for this. That's the kind of goal that I want to help you with. Who do you want to become? Is it a true man of God or a godly wife, a godly mom? Then in order to become that who, what is it that you need to do? Is it that you would be a better witness at, at, at your job or in your school or on your team? Is it that you would be able to fight that addiction and become sober and clean for once? Is it that you know that you're under this mountain of debt and your who is you want to be financially free so you can be, learn to begin to live generously? Is your who that you want to become a healthy person? Our identity shapes our actions. When you know who you being in high school, junior year of high school, and there was this kid that was always getting on my nerves. His name was Jeff. He'd always, he, 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 he knew I was a believer. He knew that there was, uh, that year I committed to carrying my Bible with me, and I, 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 I was trying to, trying to lead my friends to Jesus. And Jeff would always know things to say and knew how to push the buttons, and finally we're playing basketball in the gym. And a, a rebound happens, a bad elbow is thrown, and I don't remember who hit who first. But within a matter of seconds, I had Jeff in a headlock, and I'm punching him in the face. And it hits me. Who are you? Christian. I'm supposed to be turning the other cheek, not punching his other one. And it started to sink in. I stopped, and I was sure, like, as soon as I let go, he's going to take me down. I let go, and he just stood up. How, how do I ever expect to win Jeff's approval or his respect? I just stopped breaking. When we know who we are, it'll form what we do. My hope for us is that we would begin to see it is that God has called us to do. And out of that, that would produce the fruit in our life that leads us to do the things that we know we need to do. And that we would stop believing the lie. It's just who I am. It's just the way I'm formed. The lie of the enemy that keeps us from, from trying to do the things that we know we need to do in order to set the right habits and the right changes in our life. Romans chapter 6 says this, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer 
longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin in our lives. Now, you are free from your slavery to sin. If you know Christ, you have been set free, and you have become now slaves to righteousness. What we do should flow out of our who. Who are we? Who am I in Christ? You are forgiven. You are bought at a price. You are redeemed. You are more than conquerors. You have been set free. Let our do flow out of our who. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul, at the minute that he started to identify with his weakness, what a miserable person I am, he knew the question welling up inside him, and he knew the answer. Who will free me from this life dominated by my sin? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. And when we begin to see the, who we are in him, our identity shapes our actions. When we see ourselves as children of God, like we sang earlier today, I am not forsaken. I am forgiven. Then we begin to see that we are the people that he's called us to be. And a positive identity begins to take place. Healthy identity creates positive habits. The habits of fasting, the habits of prayer, the habits of being generous, the habits of caring for others. A positive identity helps us to put these things in place. And positive habits then reinforce a healthy identity. So my question to us as we close this morning is who do you want to become? Not how much weight you want to lose. Not how much debt you want to get out of. But who are you? What do you need to do today? Who are you? Jesus says that you are my child. I have set you free. I have set you free. You're no longer a slave to sin. Now follow me. Father God, I'm so grateful that you are a God that loves unconditionally. That every time we fall flat, you are there to help us out. Every time we make a mistake, you're there to not rub it in our face, but to encourage us, to pick us back up, to point us in the right direction, and to walk with us along the way. God, I know that there are sins that I need to break. There are habits in my life that find their way of taking hold and I pray that I am the first of us here to, to confess that I need you each and every day I need to learn to die to myself and become alive to you and I pray for my fellow brothers and sisters here in this room when we look at ourselves in our lives we know that we're not completely the people, the who you want us to be and so God I pray that our prayer would be God show us Show us where it is that we are struggling. Show us the small steps that we need to be taking. Show us the decisions that we need to form in our life and develop habits that lead to godliness, that lead us to being coming the people you've called us to be. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor John, my hope and prayer is to develop the right kind of habits in my life so that I can become more of the person that God wants me to be. 
As an act of prayer, would you just raise your hand and say, John, that's me. I'm the person who raised my hand. Let me pray for you. Raise your hand. God, we call out to you. We need you. We know that even the faith we have comes from you. And so, God, I pray that you would multiply our faith, that you would give us the desire to want to be more the people that you want us to be. God, you would help us to put into practice the steps that we need to take. Although they may be small, one step after the next leads us to becoming more the people. The process of sanctification, being made more like you. God, that's our prayer. For those of us that are holding up our hands, we call out to you and saying, Holy Spirit, come. Give us your spirit of power, of self-discipline, self-control. Help us to conquer the sins that so easily entangle us and to cast them off. We are no longer slaves to those sins. We have been found and set free in you. Help us to live in that freedom. Father God, I also pray for those in this room who may not know you, who may not have experienced that freedom because they've never been set free. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know, Pastor John, I don't know where I stand with God. I know that there are struggles in my life. I know there are habits that I wish I could break and I can't. And and I've been trying to get through life on my own. I I don't know where I stand with God. I've never really given him my life. I I don't know that I've been set free. The scriptures tell us that if you put your belief and trust in him, that he will come in and be your Lord and he will begin to be the one who sets you free. You can't do it on your own. None of us were, were, were built we're made to live this life on our own. We're called to live life in a relationship with the God who made us, and that Jesus who loves us and came to set us free. And so if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor John, I need Jesus in my life. I need to be set free. There are things that have a hold of me that I can't let go of on my own, and I need him. I need his salvation. I need his forgiveness. The Bible tells us that at the moment that you confess that you need him and that you're a sinner, that he will forgive you and he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and he'll come in and make you new, and he will set you free and begin to show you how to follow him. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor John, I need that in my life. I need his salvation. I need his freedom. And would you just raise your hand right now? I need Jesus in my life. I see that hand. Anyone else? I see it. Leave your hand up. Anyone else? Just want to raise it high so I can see those hands. I need his salvation. I need his forgiveness. I need his power to set me free. Father God, I pray for each and every hand that is up right now. That you would come and meet us in the midst of our surrender. God, we raise our hands and surrender to you, knowing that it's only in you that we can find victory over the things that hold us down. So God, I pray that you would come and in a way that only your Holy Spirit can, you would begin to bring hope. And you would begin to bring healing. And you would begin to set us free and show us the the race you've called us to run. How we can run and live this life according to you. Full of meaning and purpose. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving up your life. I now give you mine. Help me to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Father God, I pray for each and every person in this room. That you would show us, each and every one of us, the habits that we should let go of habits that we should put in place, that you would help us to see the who that you've called us to be, and out of the result of the who would become the do, the things that we know 
So meet us in this moment and lead us to our next steps, whatever they may be. We ask all of these things. And with your love for us, in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. As our worship team closes us in a time of reflection and response, there are a couple things I want to encourage you to do. One, let us remember that this life is not to be lived alone. We are to live life walking with Christ. On the night before Jesus was arrested, he was sitting with his closest friends having dinner. And he said, I'm about to go. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put through a mockery of a trial. But I do this for you. My body is going to be broken for you. And he took the bread and he gave it. And he says, as often as you eat of this bread, we're told to remember what Christ did for us. He took the cup and he said, this cup is a symbol of my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. As often as you eat of this bread and taste of this cup, remember how much I love you. Remember how much I've done for you. As I died for you, I died for you so that you can live for me. So if you've given your heart to Jesus, for those of you who raised your hands this morning and gave your life to Jesus possibly for the first time, we invite you to come and celebrate that new life by partaking in what's called the Last Supper and Communion. We have a station in the back, two up here at the front, and we invite you as you feel ready to come up and to receive the bread and the cup. Worship Him. Thank Him for what He's done for us. Commit to now living for Him. If you gave your heart to Jesus, let one of our prayer partners know. We have prayer team members in the back. I'm up here in front. Before you leave today, Come on and let one of us know, I gave my heart to Jesus. Will you pray for me? If there's a struggle going on in your life, you're already a believer, don't leave today without letting one of us pray. You're not called to walk this life alone. We're here for you. Respond now as the Lord leads you.